I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, friends. Talking Oregon football and kind of giving our overall impressions from the spring scrimmage, which was held Saturday uh, up at Franklin High School in Portland. Beautiful. Yeah, that was, <laughs> before we get into be practice, the takeaway, my gosh. I mean, that, that was something, a sight to see. I mean, the players talked about it, the, you know, the coaching staff talked about it. We walked in and were blown away at just how nice of a of a school Franklin is. Very colonial looking. <laughs> yeah, it, it just over. It looked like a college. It honestly, like, it looked like a college. And, and we should mention that the football facility. Is, I mean, there's a number of nice, top notch. I know it's a brand new one, but I don't think either of us were expecting that. I don't think either of us were aware of kind of the most recently the nicest yeah. school. And after. Uh, seeing that and then hearing what Cristobal said today, uh, Tuesday, um, what is it, the 9th? Um, 10th. 10th. And what, what Cristobal said ahead of that practice, I, I would be willing to, to wager that Oregon will be back at Franklin High School next year, um, because of the, the, the setup. Mm-hmm. And he also mentioned how it's important for Oregon to get up into Portland. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they have their weekend practices I was gonna say. up in Portland. That just seems logistically possible it, and fits. It seems, yeah, it seems like why not? And maybe maybe they're not all open to the public, but maybe they are. But it just seems like that, that getting those inroads with Portland is important and, and yeah. pleasing those fans. And I think they have such a good time going up there and seeing everybody. It was a great turnout, even though the weather wasn't maybe... Just over a 1,000 or so people were there. But, you know, when the weather... Channel and you know the weather advisories were you know torrential downpour, right. fifty mile hour winds. You know you can understand why some people left, yet they still had a good crowd. And and ironically enough, it rained before practice and it rained after practice, but it did not really rain while Oregon was out there on the football field. So the fans that were there got a good. It was almost Austin Stadium. It was almost Austin Travel, Stadium. Like <laughs> uh, we have our updates in terms of you know our initial takeaways and. We got some videos up on DuckTerritory.com, and we were actually, you know, pretty pleased that there were uh, some of you, your listeners, the subscribers yeah. that went to that. Um, and so, if you want to get other people's perspectives and from a fan perspective, uh, there's some also some, some people on the message boards that have gone on and um, given their in- input from what they saw um, from that scrimmage. But we're going to give our, our our biggest takeaways, um, and I think Eric, for for myself. One of the bigger things that really surprised me or impressed me was the defensive line depth mm-hmm. at Oregon. It's not just the first team, it's the second team too, because there were some guys that made a lot of plays that, that, that stood out. I mean, as a whole, I, mean, yeah. I think we had concerns with both groups with depth, but I thought both the first team and second team front sevens actually looked pretty darn good. And you know, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of talk with both groups that, oh, they're pretty top heavy. You've got, you know, your big three up front with, Fialu, Scott, and Jelks, and at linebacker, you've got three really known commodities in, in Winston, um, Hollins, and Dyan, and then you're not sure what the other guy is going to be, but I thought the guys that kind of were filling in as, as secondary guys that, you know, were really stepped up and played really well, and uh, Gary Baker jumps out off the top of the head because I think he actually got the first first team reps at yeah. defensive end in, in place of Fialu, which we weren't kind of expecting. He played pretty well, and then at the second group, DJ Johnson and, and Malik Young, who are guys is that we're not sure if they'll what play. their status is. Yeah, we don't know exactly yet. They haven't um, provided an update, and Cristobal said once there is one, they'll we'll provide it with you. Um, Malik, let's explain that a little bit. Malik yeah. Young was a senior last season for Oregon, a, a, a transfer, a one-for-one transfer, but he's trying to petition the NCAA to get a sixth year back. 
uh, or fifth year fifth back, year, right. fifth year back, um, and then DJ Johnson is a transfer from Miami who's submitted some paperwork to get a waiver to allow him to play right away, but Crystal Ball said at the, at the time of the signing from compliance, it didn't seem even remotely possible. Yeah, but they're, they're going through the, the hoops to see if they can if they can get it, which would be if both guys get it, or even if one of them gets say, it. If you, can go, if you can hit 500 with those two and get one of those guys, that's going to help a lot because I think what we saw from both of them on Saturday was were guys that were capable of making a contribution at some level, you know, this upcoming season. And, and linebacker, I thought both Isaac Slade, Matt, Matthew, I, I told I, I mean, we're going to butcher his name. I was going to say I, I told you we practiced. Just call him Slade on Saturday. We're going to practice this, and, and we apologize to the to, to the family. We uh, we will figure it out eventually. We'll, we'll have to look at the pronunciation guide. But uh, he and Keith Simmons both looked really good. I thought filling in at that other inside linebacker spot and Colin Colin Appleu. Um, as well, so I think they've got some depth there, and, and I agree that was one of the things that stood out. That was actually the first thing Cristobal said today when he spoke with the press, um, reflecting back to Saturday, was that he listed off about seven guys in the front seven and said these guys all played really well, and we were really pleased with them. Felt like they pushed the offensive line. So um, I think I would agree. I think that's where it starts. I thought those guys showed really well. I thought the offensive line showed really well, considering it's kind of a makeshift group as well, because um, you're, you're looking at Jake Hansen. Not playing there, um, you know. Calvin Throckmorton has to shift over. That means that there's a couple other guys shifting in. And I thought, for the most part, Justin Herbert had a pretty clean pocket. They ran the ball pretty well. Um, you know, I think both front, I think both groups up front played pretty well in that scrimmage. And I think that's encouraging. Where you have maybe some concern is kind of the skill guys and the secondary guys because it just doesn't seem like the depth is quite right. I mean, we knew we knew this from last year, the importance of. Justin Herbert's health. Right. Um, when he got hurt last season, Oregon's offense just tanked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone is expecting Braxton Burmeister or Tyler Shuck uh, to be even a small step behind Herbert because, let's be frank, Herbert is an NFL quarterback. He is, he is going to be a first-round talent. And, and to hold that expectation – uh, to those other two guys, from what we've seen so far, well, is unfair. But I think the gap between Tier 1 and Tier 2 is maybe a little bit wider than yeah. anticipated. Yeah. And this, you know, just like last year, this season's success from a grand scheme of things, you know, Tony Brooks James gets hurt, they can, they can adjust. Jake Hansen's injury that he's going through right now in spring football carries over into the fall. Oregon can adjust. They can get through that. Uh, Jalen Jelks goes down with, with an injury for Oregon on the defensive side of the football. You know, it's not ideal, but they can find ways to get around that. Right. Justin Herbert goes down. I don't think the confidence is any better than what it was last season. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But, the, the, the gap between the two is, is pretty significant. I was going to say, and I, you know, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt because both those guys are very young. I mean, right. they're both in their first basic year on campus, but there's there's a little urgency here because if they're not ready to go by fall, then you've got a real issue, and you're kind of in the same situation where you are last week or last season, where if you lose the quarterback, you kind of you're going to lose a lot of games because you just don't have the offense to make it work. And I thought Tyler Shuck played a little better towards the end of the scrimmage than he started, but still was missing some throws that he should be making. I think he's probably aware of that. And, and Burmeister, I mean, I'm sure a lot of fans in the crowd um, don't have the best perception of him because he did struggle all last year. I don't think he did anything. This is an opportunity for him to maybe rectify that and right. kind of go, hey, look, this is what I, I think am. he's 
And, he's and, got a bad reputation, and it's an unfair reputation. Uh, totally. No, I, he doesn't deserve he anything that no, comes I, down. I, on I agree, him. but I think he didn't do anything on Saturday to kind of dissuade those those you know perspectives. Right. Where and I think we both agree. I think most people that watch football regularly agree that it's a really really tough spot to put somebody that expected to redshirt up until basically yep. midway day, through the season, midway through the season, midway through a game, um, to be inserted in there. And and uh, I just think you would have liked to see him perform a little better there. I'm sure he feels the same way. He's probably pressing a little bit, but his first practice. Or passing that scrimmage was an interception to Brady, Brady Breeze, who we should mention. Brady Breeze, according to Cristobal, has had an interception in every single practice session, which is pretty impressive. Yes, um, I, I think it will give us good perspective um, with seeing that scrimmage and then going into the spring game yeah. on the two other quarterbacks. Of now that now that we have a chance to see them in a full live situation, what are the improvements that they can make? And that will carry over into Saturday's spring or April twenty first is spring game, and I you know I I really expect Chuck and and, and Burmeister will be on different teams, mm-hmm. and if that's how they split the, the if that's how they split spring football up, and they do an actual game or if they do it just yeah, offense we, we just defense setup, we, we don't know the setup yet, yeah. um, but I think both those are the two guys that are going to get a majority of the reps. Herbert will probably get twenty five percent. And then shut it down because we know what he can do. Um, but then it'll, it'll be those guys' chance to really, you know, run with the ones. I bet you both of them will get an opportunity to, to run with the ones and then, you know, go from there. I was going to say, it might not be the most fun football, but I'm, I'm guessing a lot of fans, at least educated fans, would prefer it that way. We, yeah. we know what Herbert is. We know he's really damn good. Let's watch him for a couple of series and let's see what these young guys have because their season could be, unfortunately, relying upon these guys' ability to play. With the skill position guys, I felt like, there, there are four wide receivers who are pretty well-known commodity right now, and a lot of them are young, so that's impressive. But Phil Mitchell, Brennan Schooler, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, I think all showed really well. I think the confidence levels, all four of those guys will be good this fall. My concern is depth. What uh, happens after Jalen Hall? Jalen Hall, we don't know if he's coming back. He's now missed about a week of practice, and that's not a good thing considering he was here for all of 24 hours. Um, Cristobal said when he first left that he expected him back, uh, and now as since he has... Not really said. He's had two opportunities to speak about it um, since that first time, and both those times he's just said, "When I have an update, I'll give it to you. You guys know me pretty well. Um, I don't hide stuff." Yeah. Uh, and he's not said that the other two times. I still expect him back, which I think is a bit discouraging. Yeah. And I think you'd also would be encouraged. you're li- you're, re- you're reading into things a little bit. Yeah. If you're reading the lines here, my thing is if if it was a if it was like a family member that was sick, which, you know, if that was the case, then we're probably all really overreading this and I feel bad. But if it was a family member sick, Jalen Hall has a Twitter. Go to Twitter, say, hey, sorry, family member sick, I'll be back soon. I don't, since that hasn't happened, I think you start kind of going, well, maybe there's something more to this. And if he doesn't play, currently they have more scholarship. I just put this in a story on our site, you should go check it out in Duck Territory, but they currently have more scholarship running backs and scholarship wide receivers that are healthy. And that's never a good sign. They have seven running backs and six wide receivers. So possibly they they move some guys around. But you basically have four guys that you're comfortable with and then two guys in Daywood Davis and Dimitri Birch that you haven't seen enough from. Neither of them played last year. That you're going to probably need at least one of those guys to be solid contributors next season because you need more than four wide receivers. Yeah. You need six, seven, maybe eight guys that you're comfortable putting out there. And right now you, I think you're really only on four. I mean, the plan last season before the coaching change – and, and then almost carried over to, you know, with Cristobal as head coach was Oregon was shooting to, to have a number around 11 to 12 to 13 scholarship receivers, 
on the roster next this coming season, yeah. and they're not even close to that. No, they're half that right now. And you know, a big reason for that is you want to have a couple guys redshirting, but then you also want to be able to have you know a rotation of four guy of eight guys, four on the field at one time, so you're always going to be fresh. And then you have a couple guys who are you know one or two guys that are the you know, the, thir- the third tier, and then you have one or two redshirting guys, yeah. and you know. Guy like Isaiah Crocker, a guy like JJ Tucker, two incoming freshmen. Now that Hall's status is unknown, whether they're ready or not, they're almost going to have to play. And this is where the trickle down effect, a couple years down the road, could really impact Oregon because maybe JJ Tucker and, and Isaiah Crocker develop into being really good players, but because they miss out on that redshirt year, yeah. that year they they make that big turn become. Great, you know, great receivers. They're seniors already, right. and you, you don't get that extra fifth year and of them on the football field. So, you know, Oregon's going to have to find some talent. They're going to have to figure things out with the, the receiver position. And another one that they're really, really thin at and really inexperienced too. The two worst situations you could have is corner, yep. and that's what Dante Williams, the yep. the the, state, the cornerbacks coach, uh, mentioned today. Uh, first time we got to speak with him uh, during spring ball and. And one of the first things he talked about his group was he's got one guy that's got a lot of experience coming back. That's Thomas Graham. He's got another guy that's, that played a little bit last season, which is Deombe Lenore. Both of them are sophomores, true sophomores. And then he said everybody else is brand new because Ugo Amadi moved from corner to safety middle of the year last season and has now stayed there. And he made a comment, Dante Williams made a comment today of maybe we're going to have to consider moving somebody over to the cornerback position. Maybe that's a positive of a, of a guy like Brady Breeze, who you said Crystal Ball said he's had an interception at every practice, right. and a Nick Pickett maybe. You know, those two guys kind of locking down the starting jobs, which would allow Ugo to move back to corner. Maybe that happens, or maybe they have to pull someone else. There's, it's just I agree, because the numbers are weird here again, because we just mentioned the weird ratio of running backs to wide receivers, which you prefer to have it definitely in the opposite same thing with corners. I think you'd rather have six to eight corners. Right now they have four on scholarship. They'll have a fifth guy coming in, Khalif Felici, this summer. But that's five right there. And currently they have seven, I think, scholarship safeties with an eighth coming in Javon Holland. At some point here, whether it's one of those guys you mentioned, whether it's a Steve Stevens and Javon Holland freshman just moving over to play corner, there's going to have to be something done here because you're not going to go throughout the course of the season with five scholarship corners. That's just not feasible. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. It'll be interesting to see if any of these moves happen this spring or if they just play out this spring and they make some moves. But I agree. I, I, I think at some point here, somebody from that safety group is going to have to play corner, maybe even two guys. I feel the same way about running back, and I, I don't know exactly what the fit is, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jamal Elliott or somebody who's you know maybe kind of further back on the running back depth chart play a little slot just because they need, they need a couple it. extra guys to play there. I, I, I think a candidate that would be – the obvious one to move from from safety to corner is Ugo. Right, he's played um, there. He's played there. He's started multiple seasons at that position, um, and it would give you a senior uh, on the field. But I think another guy that that would make a lot of sense to consider is Steve Stevens. I agree. Um, yeah, my next one too. A U.S. Army All American, or was he was he U.S. Army? Yeah, or I think he was an Under Armour. Under Armour. Under Armour All American, four star guy, top two hundred recruit. Um, one of the marquee guys that they signed last season, or that, that they signed in 2018's class, he's early enrolled. Um, so I, I would expect one of those two guys probably to at least 
try it. Maybe it doesn't work out, but to at least try that that cornerback spot because they just don't have the depth there right now. And this, there's not many guys coming in in the recruiting class to to, to give you that that depth, anyways. I worry about this a little bit on the scope system, this very thing, but it does feel like there are a number of positions where they have a ton of depth. We just they're overloaded. About. They're almost overloaded. Where you got some really talented running backs that aren't going to be able to play much this season. You've got some really talented offensive line guys that are going to probably going to get pushed aside because. Remember, there's a bunch of really talented offensive line recruits coming in, and they already have, you know, a hierarchy of seven or eight really good players on the roster. But then you have then you have positions like we're talking about with quarterback, cornerback, and wide receiver, where it's like, boy, they, they could they could easily add three guys, and that would really help. So those are position groups I think when you're watching the spring game to really keep an eye out because when they go to the second and third teams, you're probably going to be seeing a lot of walk-ons, yes. a lot of guys that probably aren't really prepared to play at this level. Um, and I think getting some depth there, maybe moving some guys around, is probably ultimately going to be what they have to do to fill out the depth. A couple more minutes here on this podcast, uh, talking spring scrimmage that was up in Portland uh, on the seventh in Franklin High School, up Franklin High School in, in the Portland area. Um, let's wrap this up by discussing kind of maybe the surprises that we saw. Yeah. I think the biggest one for me was just how good Key Sims was. Mm-hmm. Uh, sophomore linebacker was a four-star prospect out of the Maryland area coming out of high school. And I believe he played as a true freshman. Yeah. And then special teams, special teams guy mm-hmm. in 2016. But then last year he was out the entire year with an injury. And... I think it was suffered early, you know, midway through the, his freshman year or something. Uh, he told me it was a pre-existing injury that they waited till after the season and then they discovered a lot more problems doing it. Yeah. But basically, he was out of football. He couldn't really do anything for over over a year, and he was very impressive in that spring scrimmage. And I think what impressed me more about it was he was always around the football. He was always making plays. He got a sack on Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. but he was doing it. With the second team defense against the first team offense right. primarily, and don't want to use the word too lightly, but kind of dominating mm-hmm. from his really position. Well. Yeah, and, and I guess for me, I know we talked about the wide receiver issues. I was actually really impressed with th- three of the receivers that I kind of felt like they've actually got some pretty high caliber guys here. I thought, you know, Johnny Johnson made a couple really nice plays. He should have scored on one. He told me today that the reason he didn't is he just done a bunch of squats. They did just. The heavy squat day the day before, and so his legs he didn't have quite the next gear. He said, in the season, he will score. If you're unfamiliar with the play, caught up like a slant at the one-yard line and almost housed it, but got tackled about midfield. Um, I thought Jalen Red was really, really impressive. I think they've got a great you know slot guy there, a guy that you can use a lot of different ways. He can come out of the backfield and get some you know end-arounds or reverses. He's super quick and shifty, made some, really, made some guys look foolish. And then Brennan Schooler may have been the – Offensively, at least the most. He should have had five play. touchdowns. He had or four, four touchdowns. He, yeah, I think he had. I think he had two, two. Two, two that counted, and then a third one that was waived because they said Herbert was down. That might have been even been on the sim sack, but yeah, Herbert got sacked and then delivered a delivered a perfect, perfect pass. pass to Schooler for a touchdown that got waved off. But, it's, but again, it's pretty clear to me that they've got four guys that can really play out there at receiver, which is great. But again, the depth is a concern. I'll be curious to see kind of what that hierarchy looks like in the spring game with those guys because, like I said, I think you've got four guys that can really go out and make some plays, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all works out in terms of distributing the pass. I also think a guy that was kind of surprising 
for Oregon at a position where we've talked about they're almost overloaded yeah. is Travis Dye. Oh, yeah. Uh, he got a lot of run with the first-team offense at running back and looked like he belonged. It wasn't like he was missing holes or missing cuts. He ran harder than I was expecting. He's a little bit bigger than, you know, we were all expecting when he when he signed with Oregon. So, you know, it, while I'm not ready yet to say he's going to play as a true freshman, I think it wouldn't surprise me, though, if if he found his way onto the football field, even with, you know, a guy like Tony Bruce James and Darian Felix ahead of him that will play. And you've got Cyrus and C.J. Verdell coming off redshirts, and Jamal Elliott is here okay. as well. Yeah. So, you know, Dye was a, is the lowest-ranked recruit out of all of those guys mm-hmm. that are playing running back, yet it wouldn't surprise me if he plays. And, and actually, really quick, we should mention it was I was surprised with the way the ball was distributed there because I expected it to be pretty evenly between the, between the guys we hadn't seen before, Jamal right. Elliott, Cyrus, Verdell. We haven't seen those guys really take carries in, the, in a game yet, and for those guys, I don't. I think they might have had a combined four or five carries. Verdell got hurt early on. Crystal Ball mentioned that yeah. on Tuesday. Um, I don't think though Felix got any carries. I don't recall him ever getting any carries. And then, like you said, Jamal Elliott and and Cyrus, they maybe got two or three, four carries each. And yeah, then maybe, maybe and not it, even that. And then it was Taj Griffin, uh, Tony Brooks, James, and and and, and Travis Dye. And, yeah. That kind of goes into, you know, I know we were trying to wrap this up, but also makes me remember of what Cristobal mentioned of, of Taj Griffin today. Called yeah. him magic-like uh, with with the ball in his hands. and it, it, He may be a guy that has to move to receiver. I, I kind of think he's the logical choice. He was just there. It probably isn't what he wants to do. I think yes. he wants to play running back, and he kind of sees this as his last opportunity. But he would make a lot of sense there. Like I said, I think Jamal Elliott would make a lot of sense there because he's kind of known for his pass catching. But... Yeah, and, and going back to Travis Dye really quick, I think his best football is ahead of him because he's still pretty lean. When he packs on pounds like his older brother does, I think he could play at 5'11", 205 and be a, a real stud out there because right now he's probably playing about 15, 20 pounds yeah. beneath where he wants to be. That's going to do it for us. Go to DuckTerritory.com for uh, more Oregon football coverage. We've got a huge recruiting update on the inside read from Kevin, Wade, Eric, and myself. Uh, tons of information there for where what's going on with Oregon football. We've got Oregon basketball recruiting in full tilt, grad transfers, early you know 2018 prospects, possible reclassification. So uh, plenty of information. And then on top of that, uh, probably the biggest weekend in Oregon football recruiting history is just uh, around the corner. Mm-hmm. The spring game not only is a chance for Oregon to showcase what the team could look like in 2018, but it's also a chance to host almost – uh, the, the most amount of players we've seen confirmed to date uh, ever for an Oregon spring game uh, is, is coming to Eugene in a couple weeks. So lots and lots to, to, to discuss, lots and lots to break down, and lots and lots of us to write about uh, on DuckTerritory.com. So we encourage you to go there. And until we do another podcast next week or sometime soon, we will listen to you. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Adios.